Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast, weekly insights into everything video. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 15 of the Pro Video Podcast. This week we have Tim Clapham on the show. He discusses his company Lux and the work that they're producing, specifically talking about the light projection show for Vivid that was projected onto the Sydney Opera House. He goes into a lot of detail about the workflow of this and collaborating with a number of artists around the world. We also discuss his highly respected training site, Hello Lux. It's a wealth of knowledge for motion designers and visual effects artists with all the main software covered. It was a huge pleasure to have Tim on the show. I consider him the godfather of Cinema 4D and he is responsible for my own knowledge when it comes to Cinema 4D for motion design. Okay, let's go to that conversation now with Tim Clapham of Lux. Hi Tim and welcome to the Pro Video Podcast. Pleasure to have you on the show, mate. All right, it's great to uh, be invited. Thank you. You've been one of my mentors throughout my career and you have no idea who I am really. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many people out in the world who are in the same position that you've been a huge influence on their career and where they've ended up. That's cool. How have I influenced you? Is this through uh, the training and stuff? Yeah, totally. Um, I used to be a Maya user way back and then... Cinema 4D became the tool that was obvious for motion design and we would, my industry is advertising so we've been doing motion design and editing for a long time and the writing was on the wall to trans, to move from Maya to Cinema 4D. So I started um, at FX PhD 11 years ago when they started basically and I took um, your Cinema 4D 101 class, the original one way back. Oh, wow. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And I've had staff throughout their career take it as well. And I think there was a re-release of that series, uh, 103, instead of the 101, I think. You revisited that introduction course, and um, I had them do it as well. Awesome. So was this with FX PhD? Yeah, with FX PhD. They do some great stuff. Yeah, totally. It offered so many people in the industry who were out on their own access to amazing knowledge that you used to have to get if you were at a post facility where you would be working under somebody. The democratization of all the equipment meant that everybody could do it on their own, but you still need that knowledge and experience, which FXPHD put out so much content for. Yeah, I guess like when I first started using Cinema and was back in, well, it was version five, I think. I joined the... Um the beta testing team when they were developing, when they imported uh, thinking particles over from Max and developed the Mo when MoGraph was first developed. And really, there wasn't any training out there at all, you know. And it was real like I was very fortunate to have access to the programmers and developers and all the other like amazing artists that are part of their sort of testing team. I just started sharing it a little bit on online. Internet was a lot slower then, you know. We didn't really do video tutorials so much then. It was all written tutor tutorials. Things have changed so much now, you know, the power of computers. Was that the birth of Hellolux? That was kind of a bit before that. I used to work for a company. We had a company in the UK called Hyper. Um, me and a guy called Mark Allen. He was like my business partner back then. Um, Hellolux was born. Like my, my partner Mark decided he wanted to leave and go off and um, start becoming an, uh, an artist and doing print work printmaking and so I I met a girl and from Sydney and I'd moved to Australia <laughs> and that's when Hello Lux was born yeah so it started Lux actually which was our uh, 
production company and Hello Lux is kind of like the blog side of things, but it's sort of evolved into this sort of community of training and yeah, and it is what it is now. So it was just me originally, but now of course we um, invite lots of other amazing creatives from around the world to come and contribute and provide training and stuff for us as well. So it's grown into like a, a pretty nice little hub of creativity and hopefully some good resources for the community out there. Yeah, there's a lot of tutorials, but the training content and the areas that Hello Lux covers, it's outstanding how much is available there. With the internet, there is so much content available, but having somebody that you know is hosting the great content and when you go there and you're getting um, Octane or a Cinema 4D or an After Effects or an Arnold uh, training series that you know that you're going to get the information you need compactly too, which is a bonus. Well, that's cool to know, yeah. I mean, I know what it's like trying to find tutorials for things when you there's everyone and their brothers making tutorials. It's quite hard to find good quality and, you know, we do try and offer high quality training and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that like the people that make it for us like Adam Swab for instance who does our Houdini series you know he's an amazing artist and he works in production all the time so he's really hands-on with the kit and he knows how the industry works and that really reflects in the quality of the material that he produces for us it's the same with me in a way I mean I very often use like real-world projects or like a starting point for um, tutorials and training. Because basically, I think as like 3D artists, we are solving problems every day. And every new project presents something new to solve. And if I wasn't doing that, I don't know how I'd come up with any content for tutorials really, because it's those real world problems that clients present us that then can be reworked into good quality training for um, our customers. Yeah, I personally know that when I'm trying to learn something new, applying it to something that has a result is really rewarding, but also makes it cement in your memory a lot more, rather than just going through, clicking the buttons and learning the tools, but applying it to something that can be yours. And I think that's, with training, taking a step further and actually using what you're learning and then make it your own. So you don't have to just finish with what the result is from something that say you're providing but actually make it your own and I think the industry can see where it's come from but respects what you bring to it as well okay cool yeah no definitely I mean at the end of the day it's good if you can do the training and you end up with like a toolkit of or an arsenal of skills really you know that's that's the best way to benefit from it you do see a lot of reels and stuff where people have obviously done you know tutorials but if you can take it further and make your own thing from it, then you know that's the whole point of it, I guess, really, because uh, that's the only way you're going to be able to solve those client problems. You moved from the UK to Australia a few years ago now in the pursuit of, or with your partner, who I'm guessing is your now wife, Fleur, or if not, that's going to be a bit awkward. Yeah, it's Fleur, yeah. <laughs> uh, she runs, she, she's like uh, the amazing power behind hello lux customer support um, i'm really really busy with production work most of the time um so she kind of manages all that and gives everyone the friendly smile and she's amazing at doing it and, yeah it's awesome so how long have you been in australia for now i think i've been here nine years yeah so it's uh it's home now for sure you know we bought a place here i'm here to stay you're stuck with me guys i'm afraid <laughs> 
and you've got children and they've grown up as uh, fair dinkum Aussies? Yeah, well, they're, they're like six and seven, so yeah, they're definitely Aussie. Oh, it's a beautiful country to grow up in. It is, yeah, it is really beautiful. Yeah, last year we did an amazing tour. We drove from um, Perth to Sydney, seven and a half thousand Ks over like three weeks, which was probably not enough time, but definitely got to see a lot of the country and shoot some footage on the way as well, you know. Working holiday. <laughs> <laughs> nice, some um, some good uh, background plates for some future tutorials. Yeah, that's it. That was that was that was part of the idea. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Such an interesting terrain, you know, especially Western Australia is amazing. Like so barren and and like vast with like no one around, and got some great shots of some wild horses and things. I haven't actually used any of it yet, but it's sitting there waiting to be used. Uh, awesome stuff. Working with your wife, that's not something that a lot of us have the opportunity to do. Does that help actually? Because it's a really intense industry where the time pressures and the amount of hours and effort that goes into production, find it helpful to be able to include your wife in those processes? Yeah, well, we do, we work, um, we don't really work in the same room, probably end up killing each other if we did that. I, I tend to work from my studio, which is, it's not, at home I did have a home I have got a home studio which is where I am now but I tend to work in the studio with because you know we have freelancers working in and we work also with uh, Never Sit Still Mike Tossetto and um, Barney you know and we collaborate on a lot of projects Fleur tends to run Hello Lux um, from from the home um, but it is good to to work together um, I have a lot more experience in the industry but she's a quick learner excellent stuff so I recently had a episode with yes captain Mr James Cohen and he was talking about node and you were the keynote speaker at the launch last year of node festival 2016 that presentation is available online and it was a really really cool presentation I really I totally enjoyed listening to that thank you yeah no it was a, it was a pleasure to um to do that with james and kim they're they're, they're a lovely team from yes captain yeah it was it was really great because i i'm fortunate enough to have known the kind of the maxon crew for quite a long time and so we were able to hook them up with the, the appropriate people at maxon um which is great so they came on board as sponsors and it's a really good crowd i'm totally looking forward to this year's node fest definitely be there i won't be i won't be presenting this time around I'll be in the audience this time, soaking up all the all the goodness. Awesome. Well, I'm hooking that up with my manager. She doesn't know it yet, but I'm going to lock it in. So, look forward to having a beer with you in person. Oh yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, there's definitely beers afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and I think recently, it might have been even today, that John Dickinson was announced as one of the speakers at this year's festival. Yeah, I mean, I know who a few of the speakers are, but I'm not sure if it's public knowledge yet. But John is one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that'd be interesting. I've known John for a while. He's a he's a good guy, and he's um, he does some amazing presentations. They're always interesting and keeps the audience, you know, buzzing. So it's, it's a bit of a skill doing presentations. It's not it's not quite as easy as people think. It's a little bit daunting. It takes quite a long time to get a good presentation together. I've been fortunate enough to you know travel around. I've been to Vegas for NAB. I've been to Seagraph a few times and IBC in Amsterdam. So it's it's good fun. Uh, the, the US guys, Maxon, really, they treat us like kings when we go over there. It's, you know, it's always a bit of a party. And it's nice as well because you get to hang out with all the people that you've seen online. Um, you know, that's the nice thing about Node is that you get to actually meet people and drink beer with them. And it's always good to drink beer with people. 
Yeah, definitely is. Definitely is. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of people that I've gotten to know and um, bring over a few Kiwi counterparts. One of those will be Rich Nosworthy. Hope he can come over. And Rich has been recently doing a project with you as well, which was the Vivid Light Festival, the um, Sydney Opera House projections. That was a beautiful piece of work that was um, put together by you and a collection of artists. Yeah, that was awesome. It was a real privilege and an honour to work on that. I actually met Rich at Node last year. He's a lovely guy. He's amazingly talented, really, uh, you know, incredible. And we worked on the uh, on the um, Opera House projections for Vivid, which was in its pretty amazing canvas to have that, uh, <laughs> the honour of doing that. Um, and I was working with a guy, Ash Bolland, who's the director, and he used to run Numeric which was a studio in Sydney, but he, he now works just as a, you know, mostly live action actually. So it was kind of harking back and spin effects is uh, the production company that were kind of commissioned by the opera house, but Ash came directly to me and wanted to work with me on this. We'd worked together in the past on quite a few gigs, you know, always he's got an incredible vision. So Ash came up with this concept of audio creatures um, and then they pulled in Armin Tobin to do the actual sound for it. And his his sound is just it's just out of this world. And the two of them they're pretty bonkers, really. The kind of stuff that they came up with. It was a pretty challenging project, to say the least. We ended up doing kind of like eight or nine minutes of the fifteen minutes. And Rich uh, came on board, um, and also Twisted Polly, which is um, Nate's from Slovenia, I think. He came on board and helped with one of the creatures. And Rich built a few of the creatures. And I also worked. Um, with Mike Tossetto and Dan Bragger as well. Um, he he was interning at Lux, so he he helped on it. And he's a really amazingly talented guy. He's from uh, Norway, but he was over in Sydney studying. He just finished. He just finished his degree here. So we we were lucky enough to hook up with Dan, and he came on board working with us. So it was a pretty small team. We had three or four of us on it, and it was a seven week project. Um, so yeah. We produced about eight or nine minutes of 4K CG animation in, in seven weeks. So, you know, if you've worked in the industry, you can appreciate, like, how much work that is to do in that time. I think, we've, I think we calculated we did, like, 18 weeks' work <laughs> if you, of a standard eight-hour day. You know, we were really pushing it as hard as we can because we wanted to do the best job possible. I think it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do that. And actually... It was my birthday yesterday, and Mike and my wife bought me a, a gift. You can, you know, in, in Sydney, you can walk over the Harbour Bridge. They do a Harbour Bridge climb. Yep. But they do a special vivid one. So that's cool. So me and Mike are going to go up there tonight and check out the Opera House from the top of the Harbour Bridge. Oh, wicked. Happy birthday for yesterday. Uh, thank you. Yeah, so that's going to be pretty amazing. We're looking forward to that. And then tomorrow night, we're having a bit of a party. We've got like, we've got like a got one of the funny little cruise ships that they have in the circular key we, yeah we had that and we've got a whole bunch of mates going down so we can because i think it ends this weekend so yeah we're just going to go and have one last look at it it's such a stunning event to do i went a few years ago and had a ball walking around the whole harbor it has so many different exhibitions and ways of getting around to to view it from different angles which is special yeah, it's amazing. I think it's a really incredible initiative of, um, like, you know, 
Sydney Council and the Opera House and uh, Destination New South Wales. It's it's it's, a, like, it's I think it's the ninth year that they've done it, and it just grows every year. Like there are millions and millions of people that come down over the over the few weeks that it's on, and it's it's not just the Opera House, of course. They do it. No, it's expanding every year. They do obviously the MCA opposite, huge projections on there, and there's loads of interactive and, and like um, installations and sound installations. Um, they do a thing at Taronga Zoo as well, where they have like lots of like 3D um, like actual sculptures of animals made of lights and stuff. Um, yeah, so really, really nice initiative. It's when we were actually working on it, they kind of refer to it as a as a public art installation, which which is kind of cool. Um, I've done a few projections in my time, but then this is probably the most honourable. I um, also worked on one with Spin Effects a few years ago, which was in a in Moscow. I think it's in the Guinness Book of Records for the largest video projection ever. I think it was like the size of six football pitches, the, the actual projection area. I'm not sure if it still is holds the record for that, but at the time, that was pretty harrowing as well. There was 6K <laughs> renders, and I did it all in a 32-bit float, trying to comp that in After Effects. Um, great fun. <laughs> yeah, a lot of render time there. <laughs> Yeah, the render time. The thing with the projection stuff is, it's like because a lot of the, obviously the work we do is much shorter duration. You know, ten seconds, thirty seconds, a minute at the most. But when you're doing eight minutes and it's four K, the render times can be pretty harrowing. Yeah, that was one of the things that was a little bit of a worry. But yeah. where we are, our studio is in a really beautiful warehouse, converted warehouse in Camperdown, and um, there's a there's an events company in the same building, and luckily we know the guy there, and uh. He let us hijack his machines. Oh, sweet. So we had like an extra 20 machines every night. We just went down and launched cinema and used the net, uh, the team render on that. You know, that was, that was godsend. Without that, I don't know what we'd have done. I think probably would have had a heart attack. <laughs> the computing power gets better and uh, things get faster, but all that means is that you push the look further, and which just means more and more compute times. I um, yeah. had some questions from some groups, and one of the questions was actually about that projection, about the process of it. So was it that there's a lot of templates already provided on how the projections will output? That you're working to or is it pretty much a straight 4k image no you mean as far as the technical side of the projection yeah. no i actually have like a 3d model of the opera house that because they have to calibrate it based on the position that they're going to put the projectors and i think they used i think there's three projectors and and it was five splits so like 15 projectors in all but we only supply them with one. We, I think the company that did it called Electric Canvas. They're the company that uh, kind of did the projection side of things. Uh, you know, sitting there all night in the freezing cold. But the the actual render is just done as one render. Yeah, so it's about 4K uh, the the width, but the, the resolution was some arbitrary value. So it wasn't like a regular resolution. But luckily for that job, we just output with one render one 4k render rather than having to split it out sometimes i've done one i did a melbourne town hall one year and it was like eight separate renders and then they stitch it all together on site yeah. they use like a kind of crazy grid warp that they so they project a grid onto the surface first and then they warp it together so that the, the grid becomes seamless and then they know that when they project the actual footage it's all going to look okay um, but with the opera house it's just from one point of view, it's kind of simpler in a way. It's not a flat surface, of course, but um, you know, it is all projected from one place from using one one render. 
The lighting the sales piece was beautiful, vivid lights and colours in the projection. It must be difficult with the balance of doing a projected light versus viewing it on a screen. Yeah, it's totally difficult. I mean, just like the sense of scale, it feels incredibly different when you actually view it in situ in comparison with when you're viewing it on a monitor. Like if you think of it in terms of if you were standing on the top of a building and you dropped a football off the side of the building and you think how long that football might take to, to reach the ground, it's going to take a few seconds. When you watch that on a computer screen, it, it, everything seems really slow, you know. So you have to, if you animate it for, for like a television screen, when you view that as a projection, most likely what will happen is it will all be too fast. Yeah. So you have to slow everything down considerably. And you have to be really... Um, heavy-handed as well there's no point in being like fussy about grade and uh you know color correction and stuff like that and all the fine minutiae and detail because it just all gets lost so you 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 have to really oversaturate things over brightness like really push the contrast if you view the footage on on a computer monitor it's almost like a little bit too garish it's a bit you know it hasn't hasn't got that finesse that you might see if you were like grading a like a television commercial or something, but yeah. if you if you don't do that, then it tends to look a little bit washed out and flat. Like we went down at two o'clock in the morning about a week before to do like the test projections, and then afterwards, um, I know SpinFX who were kind of outputting the the, the final final deliverable they went back and um, like really crushed it and pushed the contrast a hell of a lot more after we'd been to see it just because it wasn't feeling punchy enough so it's quite difficult when you're working on a computer screen you have to take all of that into consideration it's only when you actually get down there and see it then you know what it's going to be like and of course at that point it's too late to change it (laughs) (laughs) Also, oh, yeah. also too, working with a number of other artists collaborating, um, what was the process behind that with the sections that everyone was doing and um, reviewing that and pulling it together? I'm thinking that possibly you're not going to wait until it's all done and they hand it over and you say thanks. <laughs> no, 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 of course, that's right. Well, um, for the kickoff meeting, everyone, well, not everyone involved, like uh, Rich and, and Nate weren't brought on until a little bit later on in the job. But I'm, you know, we, Lux and um, SpinFX met up with Ash and um, Tara, who was the producer for um, Interrogate, because Ash's company is called Interrogate. So we all met up and went through Ash's boards. And basically, we started off with a whole bunch of uh, just um, style frames that Ash had mocked up in Photoshop um, based on his ideas. Some of them were just sketches. Some of them were uh, like, um, you know, a little bit more painted or, or mocked up with some, some 3D renders and stuff that he'd done. Um, and then the rest of it was kind of left to our interpretation. And it was funny, really, the gig, because um, we didn't we didn't go back to spin until we kind of delivered the project. But there was obviously a lot of to and fro in um, on Skype. Um, and then Rich was brought on. So there was Skype involved and Nate's. Ash was actually on a live action shoot in Vancouver as well for a couple of weeks of it. So there's this big time difference. So we're talking to Ash in like the middle of the night and stuff. Um, but it worked pretty well. Generally, we just use Dropbox and uh, um, obviously not outputting full res files, but throughout the whole process, everyone outputting um, stills with like uh, you know, high quality renders and then a lot of play blasts and uh, hardware renders. To, to show the progress and the animation that was going to take place. They're all chucked onto Dropbox and everyone then kind of feeds back on it and, and that process continues. 
Awesome. Just just had a thought as VR is becoming quite a hot topic of late and putting that into production and things like that. Just wondering if reviewing in VR and having that scale and that depth, I don't know if that would make it an interesting way to review in the future. Yeah, it could do. I know for this job, they actually did a virtual reality render of um, the one one of the creatures, the one that Rich Nosworthy did. It's the last creature. It's kind of this big purple sort of music machine with these wobbly tentacles. But they uh, they, they did a, a, is it Vive? Vibe? can't remember. The VR headset thing. They, they did a render for that, yeah. And I know that that was for like, they had a thing for like visually impaired and also um, audio impaired people. Someone was telling me it was on the news yesterday that they all went down there and they went actually into the VR environment um, to just get up close and personal with the audio creatures. <laughs> cool. That sounds really, really engaging way to experience it in another way. Yeah, sounds pretty cool. I didn't get to see it actually. I wouldn't have minded, but yeah, I imagine it would have been pretty immersive. The Pro Video Podcast has a number of online communities. We have a Slack group and a Facebook group, and I put it out there. What questions would you like to ask Tim? I call you the godfather of uh, Cinema 4D, because every, <laughs> everybody has learned something from you or found in the past. Everybody who's out there training now and got a lot of good content all reference back to you in some way. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for appreciating all that positive feedback, you know. I mean, I'm going to keep making training and be interesting to know what sort of things people would like to see, you know, what, what they'd like me to uh, to work on next. I just recently released one called um, Learn C4D Rigging in One Day, and I'm working on another one which is going to be a, like a, a MoGraph in one day because we've got this series on Hello Lux, Learn C4D in One Day, Rigging in One Day. We're going to try and expand on that. I mean, I think, honestly, you'd be pretty hard-pushed to get it done in one day. <laughs> the whole point is that it it's like six, five, six hours of training. So if theoretically, you could you could do that. Yeah, and uh, like we're always like keen to, to have any feedback on Hello Lux um, and the kind of content that people would like to see there. So if anyone has any suggestions, that would be great. Sweet. Well, I'll put that out to the audience. Some of the questions that did come back, I'll start with Rich Nosworthy, actually. He had one for you. He was was asking, um, so when are you coming over to New Zealand for our MoGraph meetup and drinks night? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've never been. I've only ever been into the airport. I really would love to. My wife's been and travelled around. Um, I've worked before with a studio local as well. Oh, yeah, my mate Dan. Yeah, and they're, I'd love to meet them as well. God, this sounds like a great invite. Any excuse, and I'll be over. Sweet. Well, those guys are coming on the show actually in a few weeks. So, um, yeah, we'll have to do a rally and online marketing campaign. Bring Tim, Tim Clapham over to NZ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. We have a Kickstarter in progress. Sweet. I, I actually think you, we could fund it through that. There'd be a lot of people who'd be keen to have you over here. And, um, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I'd love to come. Actually, Nigel Upchurch, he had a question. He he freelances for Studio Local a lot as well. He's a 3D artist and motion designer. He'd love to hear a little about the process for the Opera House project, which we already covered. So I should have read that question before I asked it. And yeah, well, I mean, I can go into a bit more detail about it if you want. Yeah, you know? definitely. I, I think generally, like, we use Cinema 4D for all of our shots. 
there was a lot of rigging involved. Like the creatures were a lot of R and D as well. Um, like the time, as I say, you know, so we um, rendered it pretty much in V-Ray, most of it in V-Ray as well. Um, we didn't use GI for any of it just because of the, the render constraints. Interesting, really, you know, like it's like some of the shots. So if you've seen it there, there's some shots like there's a shot of some parasites, which is for this. We kind of created a um, load of morphs and then morphed these uh, kind of organic parasite shapes and clone those across the surface and then we use those to clone more onto there's a section with these shells that kind of then pull themselves over that was quite a lot of r&d and we just like i think you know some of it of course is fairly procedural like the, using cloner as much as possible and using it in maybe like slightly unusual ways but things like the shells cracking like at first we tried to do that with the voronoi fracture but in the end we ended up kind of creating each piece manually using booleans and stuff and then it was a combination of some of them were animated using dynamics so we kind of trigger the dynamics and just one piece at a time it's kind of like you could have you could kind of create the shell use the voronoi and then try and make it explode and make a good looking crack so it's cracking open but i guess it's almost like if you if you um smash a window you know you could smash a window and it might look nicer than if you smashed it a different way so like if you smash two windows one one smashed window might have a certain aesthetic more than the other one which is a weird thing you know it's like if you splash it it's liquid some splashes and look better don't they like a wave might look nicer and we were getting that with the cracking of the shells so in the end we ended up pretty much animating each one one by one um it gives you like the ultimate amount of control you know which so you goes kind of to dynamics for some, so then, yeah. and then bake that single piece. Once you're happy with how one piece falls and spins, and of course the other thing with the opera house, which is a huge issue, is like keeping everything constrained within the sails. You don't really want stuff to go out of the edge and come back in because you lose the illusion. And that was actually like a major, like difficult thing to do because you've got this, like you have like your ideas of how you want to animate stuff, but then the. the the sails are like such an unusual shape. So even the shell cracking, you know, when the when the piece spins off, if a piece of it went over the edge, then we had to rework that because the whole point was to keep it inside that that part. And I think one of the difficult things about the Opera House as well is that, um, and it's kind of really typical of Ash's vision, is that everything was really organic, you know? It was like there's very few parts of that project that are like mechanical or um you know geometrical everything was like fleshy and or cloth and you know all of the difficult stuff that we have to do <laughs> yeah. but yeah it was a cool project hopefully that's a bit more in, um, info on on how we did it no it's awesome and so much of that links back to other things that you've said in the node talk that you gave about procedural versus you know just getting in there and doing the hard keyframes Sometimes that's yeah. what it takes to get the job done to a level of art direction that you want and need. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, totally. You know, you can do, like, if you can do it procedurally, great. And you can normally get, like, 90% of the way. But very often, as you say, yeah, it's just to, like, knuckle down, keyframe by hand. I guess it's the difference between an automatic walk cycle and, and like a walk cycle created by like a really talented character animator. 
the character animated walk cycle is going to win hands down every time, isn't it? You know, there's only so much computers can do for us. And as soon as we start using like a procedural workflow, we're letting the computer make decisions for us as well. You know, it's making aesthetic choices for us, which which is kind of interesting in its own right. It's not like I wouldn't poo-poo that kind of approach at all. Like some of the things people do with like processing and Houdini and stuff and, and like accidents that happen through automated process as well can be really interesting so i think the two things like the handcrafted approach and the procedural approach you know they work hand in hand really they complement each other i guess the the battle is knowing when to switch between the two and obviously we all like to get that job done as soon as possible and as easy as possible but you know sometimes you just have to knuckle down and put in the hours yeah, and this industry is very much putting in the time and the work and getting that experience. So when the road does meet the rubber, you, you know what to put into play because uh, unfortunately the budgets aren't getting bigger and time isn't no. getting longer. <laughs> so, and, and that's where the training that you offer is some of the best, I feel, available for motion designers and everybody that's wanting to learn all these different skills because you share a lot of different approaches and a lot of different techniques and there is no right one right way of doing it but the more options that you understand and give yourself then you can pull those out when you need them yeah for sure yeah i guess every new project presents new new problems and you know it's funny. I've been doing this for a while now, but like, computers have gotten more and more powerful. But clients' demands are getting more and more as well. But the budgets aren't really getting more and more, unfortunately. Um, it's interesting. Now, when I first, when I studied film at uni, but when I left, I mean, we had one Mac for our whole course. You know, for everyone. Now, everyone, you know, you've got more power in your pocket on a on a mobile phone. It's yeah. incredible. Anyone can go out and buy a a powerful computer for you know a couple of grand and make broadcast quality work at home the whole industry has become much more accessible i guess that's why in a way um you know demands have got higher and budgets haven't increased as much because you know, there's a lot more competition out there you don't need to necessarily be a huge studio with huge budgets to buy the kit i think back in the day when like when you you know you used to use Maya, but like if you wanted to buy like a Silicon Graphics Octane like 20 years ago, that's like a $45,000 computer. And like to buy Maya complete was like $35,000. Yeah. You know, so you're looking at like 70, 80 grand to buy one 3D workstation. Whereas now you can spend like, you know, you, if you're a student, you get Cinema 4D free. You can buy a computer for a grand and you're, you, you know, you're up and running really. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Because I learnt on exactly that the O2 box with the um, the mayor back in the day, and we only we only had a few of them in the suite for everybody to share when we were studying. So you had your allotted time, and so you'd come in at three in the morning for your shift <laughs> before. Yeah. <laughs> try and get your project out and try and get something rendered before you had to get off at eight o'clock and the next person jump on. Oh man, that's mad. Yeah, I used to I used to always want I used to drool over those O2s. Yeah. I think the most I ever had I once had a silicon graphics mouse. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> it's so nerdy. Oh, Pretty much always just been Apple to be honest. But like yeah. recently switched over to Windows. Always had like loads of Windows boxes for render machines. But when I first like uh, left uni I worked for an Apple Center for a little while. And it's kind of like um 
I guess it's like a bank account or whatever. Like that, my first computer, well, not my first computer. That was like a Sinclair ZX80, I think. But since leaving home and having, leaving uni, I worked for an Apple center. So I had like a, I had a Mac then. And then you buy all your software's Apple and then that's it. You're sort of stuck into that operating system, isn't it? It's a lot easier now with licensing that you can like change them over, but it used to be much more difficult then or much more costly, should I say. Yeah. But, you know, Apple obviously like uh, don't really care about us anymore, pro users. So, um, and it's been a long time coming. So, yeah, we're all switching. We're switching over to all Windows hardware at Lux now. So Yeah, we've done the same. We, After 11 yeah. years on Mac, we're now Windows. Yeah, I know, and I'm honestly, it doesn't really does it make any difference. No. I can't really stand the, the only thing that bugs me is the Windows key. And I've got a Mac at home, so when I then I like I'm you know, like my brain is trained to press certain <laughs> keys, and then when I get back on Windows, like that Windows key, I press it all the time, it drives me bananas. I was looking at another question from a listener, or well, actually a participant from the Facebook group. And that was Andrew Gibbons. And he had a question, which is, um, how did you become so awesome? So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking a lot of effort and time probably was the uh, result of that. Yeah, I guess. It's a hard one to answer because I'm not sure I am. There are plenty more a lot of people around there a lot more awesome than I am in the world. God, there's some amazing talent out there. Very lucky to have worked with some of them, you know, like people like Patrick Clare, yeah. Ash Bolland. I'm really privileged to work with these kind of guys. I guess it started when I was at uni. I studied fine art, but I specialised in film. And my tutor was a, like he was pretty awesome. I was really lucky. And there, like there were about sixty people on the fine art course, but there were only about eight of us who studied film. And we like it was actually film and video. You know, we used to edit on like a two or three machine edit suite. As I said before, we only have one Mac in the whole course. I'd, ne- I'd never seen any non-linear editing like Avid or Premiere. I'd never seen any of that. Like the only non-linear editing we did was like with film on a, on a Steam Deck. But my tutor was awesome. He used to say things like, you know, shoot some film and bury it in the garden and then dig it up six months later and then project that and see what it looks like. So like, <laughs> so I'm really thinking outside the box. So that was pretty cool. Original Instagram filter. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You know, that's such a rad approach. I love all that stuff. And I guess like lots of hard work definitely helps to um, like, you know, push your skill level and working with amazing people. It's got to be like who you surround yourself with is definitely like really helps. And everyone brings something different to the table, you know. So every I've done a lot of jobs. We do a lot of stuff through Lux, but also we collaborate a hell of a lot with other studios, which is really nice because... You know, like the different people see different solutions to problems and they have their own vision of things. So if you get to like surround yourself with awesome people, then they all like creates a really nice creative melting pot. I think um, this industry is good for that too. There's a heap of awesome people who are drawn to motion design and this creative industry. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Most people as well are pretty damn cool for sharing their ideas and or even you know there's the ideas side of thing and then there's the technical how do you do it side of thing and like this industry is full of people that are generous with their um skills and with their creativity and and share it and you know i think that nurtures the community incredibly and like hopefully you know it's good to be part of that as well yeah um andrew also added what did teaching do for your career and when you were talking just before 
you had a teacher that was really obviously inspirational for you and you have been that inspiration for a lot of other people so going through the process of teaching the content what has that done for your career I'm sort of expanding on his question there yeah I guess um gets you in the public eye quite a lot more doesn't really like doesn't bring you work necessarily it doesn't bring you clients because the people that are watching that stuff aren't the people that are going to employ you to do jobs but it does it gets you like a lot of people know who you are through your training, I guess. So I, through that, through FX PhD and Hello Lux and stuff, I guess that's put me in contact with a lot of other studios around the world. You know, I've, I've worked with some really, like, cool people, like Tendril in Canada, you know, people in London, European companies. Like I've worked with HBO in Asia and i work with companies in, in Australia, of course. And I, and I imagine that the, the teaching and stuff opened a lot of those doors to a certain extent. Yeah. Because people get to see you and, and your skill level without like having to sort of promote yourself online and obviously that's difficult to do these days because the market is a bit saturated um and the other thing i guess that it's done is uh you know i, I think probably through teaching and stuff like that is how I, I managed to um you know hook up with the maxon developers with adobe as well um and then and then that leads on to like them inviting you around to different conferences around the world to present and show your work. And, and then that leads to meeting different artists from around the world, you know, and then you get to work with those people. So it's like a domino effect. So I guess that's probably the biggest benefit of doing it. Yeah. And of course, sharing knowledge with the community. It's like it's a buzz. It's nice. You know, it's nice to get an email from people saying, oh, that's so awesome. That tutorial. Thanks. Used it on this job or exactly what I need. It's really nice to get that kind of feedback. That's wicked. You were talking about Maxon and Adobe, and now that Cinema 4D is available for anybody who's downloading After Effects, there's Cinema 4D Lite. Yeah. And way back in the day, Cinema wasn't that packaged up with um, a long time ago. Was it Final Cut? Am I getting it wrong there? Or was it Premiere? I can't remember. No, it was Final Cut Pro, yeah. Final Cut Pro. That's the first time I ever used Cinema. Was It was Cinema 4D Go. Oh, really? They had a different name for it? The yeah, first release. it was basically version 5, but it, right. was like a, it was like a Cinema 4D Lite. For a, and Apple bundled it with Final Cut Pro. It was Paul Babb, who's like the CEO of Maxon in the US, he was telling me that it was his idea to do it. I think it's one of the best things they ever did. I wouldn't know, we were using Lightwave at the time. That was like a, the, the, the app that we were using. But we were on Max and Lightwave was buggy as hell and kept crashing. And then we cutting up, cutting these. We were doing a Lego job, it was, and then we were cutting the commercial together in Final Cut Pro and came with Cinema 4D Go, and that was it. I was hooked. Now, now that's been my tool of choice ever since. Yeah, it's flexibility and that it doesn't break. I used to find with Mayer, unless you knew exactly the processes and the way to join those together. You wouldn't get the results you want, but cinema, you're just basically manipulating all of the elements and trying things and exploring, and it just keeps going without breaking. Yeah, it does. Very stable, really stable app. So one of the nice things about it is the stability, but also, like, as you say, things like MoGraph and stuff, you know, you can just jump in and just jam out, and you can make something look pretty cool pretty quickly just by experimenting and playing, and that's the fun of it, you know? It's not like... I mean, obviously, <laughs> that's when you're messing around. Obviously, client jobs, 
present problems that you have to solve and it can be like pulling your hair out some of the time but generally if you want you know i kind of i kind of like jumping in there and just doing my own stuff just for to relax (laughs) yeah someone else on the pro video facebook group mr james cohen you might know him he had a question for you oh yeah (laughs) he wanted to know a couple of things how do you find the time to do so much all the great training plus incredible client work and being a family man and then um also how did you get so damn sexy (laughs) (laughs) well uh, that just comes naturally (laughs) yeah time is always difficult like you know the, like sometimes it is to the detriment of family life but you know it's hard it's difficult to find the right life work balance i haven't like finding time to make training is harder and harder these days like i i, I don't really i really struggle to find time for it but um the last one the rigging i really made time for it and i've already started scheduling into my diary for the for the next MoGraph one because I really want to keep like on the pulse with that I don't want to stop doing it but also as well as just managing clients is a big deal you know because clients are constantly demanding they constantly ask for more and more you know and they they won't necessarily budget for that and you do have to kind of learn to push back sometimes and just say look it's just you, you just can't have what you want with that time and budget unless you're willing to throw more money at it so we can bring more people on yeah, but at the same time, you do want to make sure that you do the best for the job, so you do end up always still end up putting in the hours. And all I'll tell you, I just finished a job a couple of days ago, and this happens on every bloody job. It's like roto. <laughs> <laughs> always end up having to do a bit of roto with the Vivid Opera House. We had to. I got Alex from Never Sit Still was doing it, but. He was doing the roto on that one, on the one we did for Adobe for the Dragon Lawn, rotoscoping. Every job always ends with roto. And even though I've been doing this for 20 years, I'm still there. <laughs> keep framing those masks. <laughs> oh, well, there'll be somebody who's um, listening to this, working away, rotoscoping, and going, oh, even Tim feels my pain. So we're yeah. all in the same boat. <laughs> I know the pain of roto, yeah, I hope. And it was just like the job I just finished. It's one that's been ongoing for a, it's just for Channel Seven, but it was like it's been going for six months, and I haven't had to do any of that for the whole project. And on this very last deliverable, twelve o'clock at night, there I was, rotoscoping once again. Typical. Hopefully, the technology gets to the point where it's just a magical process. You know, every time a new tool comes out and says rotoscoping's finished with <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah it's like uh take it with a bit of a grain of salt at the moment but maybe one day yeah i know that's it everyone's like yeah right of course it is we know that there's no machine that can do that as well as a human I had a couple of people who had similar questions david Ubang from the node group and also there was will brown he's from the facebook group both sort of asking do you have time for passion projects was one question, but I'm pretty sure from what I'm gathering, the work is the work and that's where you're putting all your passion in. But also the main question was when you're trying to focus on learning a new area, how do you choose that? I think that their question is, do you use passion projects to develop from? But for you, Mm. how do you pick a new area? Because everybody's always learning and growing. So how do you approach that? Yeah, well, for the passion project thing, it's difficult to find the time to do it, to be honest. I really, 
I wish I had more time for it. I did one a, like a couple of years ago for like an ag to emotion response, which was an opportunity. And that kind of goes in hand with the learning as well, because that was the first time I like I bought V-Ray. We bought V-Ray. So it was a couple of years ago now. And I hadn't used V-Ray at all. So I was like, as soon as I'm doing this free project, it was a free, like Agda is the Australian Graphic Design Association and they did some motion responses. They are requested motion responses. So I like chose that opportunity to learn V-Ray. So yeah, learn it on the job. Most of the time that's what I do. And I do a lot of beta testing as well for Maxon and which is cool because it gives you the opportunity to like get the features probably a year before everyone else to a certain extent. It's always a bit dodgy using beta software in production, but if I didn't do that, I would never have a chance to actually test it because I, I, you know, I just wouldn't have any spare time to do it. And and you kind of learn the tools as they get developed. So it's a sort of a two-way conversation with the developers as well, because obviously they don't use the program. You know, they just they just write to it. So it's up to us as users to feedback to them so that the the features are developed kind of correctly for for workflow yeah so that's what that's definitely one of the ways that i learn but i think every single project i ever do none of them are a walk in the park every director every concept brings in a new a new problem that we have to solve and you know that that's how i learn really i'm like how, how do i do that and then i'm kind of either google how to do it or uh, work it out <laughs> Yeah. So all that beta testing for Maxon to find the time to do that. Are you are you scheduling that in your workload as well, or are you putting it into the actual some of the production jobs and testing it that way? Yeah, test it out in production generally. It really not not on really early like alphas and stuff. It's just too dodgy. Sometimes the file formats change and things like that, or the features change considerably. But when you know when the when the program the features are kind of reasonably well developed, then I find that that's the best way to do it. Otherwise, it's difficult to really test it properly thoroughly. If you're putting it into a production environment, then you're doing things that you need to do. So it's like you use the software in that in that capacity, and I think that's the best way to really kind of test test to make sure everything's working properly mm-hmm. obviously it can uh, can be a bit tricky at times um, i've been in a position when dynamics was first developed and we were doing a job for hbo and and then suddenly i was using the beta version and it was crashing left right and center but luckily i emailed the developer and he fixed it <laughs> after me after a few, he was away for a few days and i had a few days of heart attacks but then he came back <laughs> luckily he fixed it and gave me a new build instantly and it was fine so yeah like but you know as you said before cinema like is is pretty damn stable it's pretty good yeah i guess that's another thing to do with the learning as well with the beta testing because there are a lot of a lot of the artists from around the world that people know you know they they help with testing and developing the software so that's a good way of learning you know because they all have different skills that not, I don't necessarily have. And if I need to do something, I might think, oh, so-and-so, he's a character guy, or he does rigging at Disney, he'll know how to do it. Or and just, and it swings both ways. So they might come to me and ask me something as well. Comes back to everyone sharing the knowledge, you know, the community, it's pretty awesome. On that note, you've got a lot more Houdini content on your site, and Houdini has really blown up in the last few years in the industry have you been interested in developing houdini as a skill set for yourself as well yeah i have i have learned a little bit but i'm i'm right newbie at it i i have got a license for houdini i bought a license for it and i've done a few of adam swab's trainings the one that we sell and it's a funny one houdini 
You know, it's an amazingly powerful piece of kit. I haven't spent enough time to use it in production yet, though. Um, and I, I don't know if I ever will. I think, to be honest, I have so many other things to do that I'll probably, if I need stuff that only Houdini can do, then I'll hire someone who's very good at Houdini. <laughs> and now it's time for Pro Video Packs. The first question is, and this can be anything of your choice, um, that your Pro Video Pack, this could be a resource, a training site, um, others have said a paper and pencil. It's anything that helps you in your daily process or your creative process. What would be your pick that you'd share? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I, I'd have to say Cinema 4D, really, wouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like my go-to tool. It's funny, you know, because we're doing a we're doing a job for Adobe at the moment, and it's like some titles. They're doing a conference in August, and we're doing the titles for it. And I was in Illustrator, like doing all my storyboards, and I had. And I'm like, oh, man. And then I just ended up doing it in cinema. <laughs> I think because you can just jam out a lot quicker than trying to draw it. Otherwise, it would be a pencil and paper. Yeah. Like most start with a pencil and paper. Like the ideas for this title sequence all started with pencil and paper. Um, yeah. So, yeah, cinema. There's something quite comforting about Cinema 4D. I find that it just feels really comfortable to work in it and yeah, get your head in the right headspace. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously we use all the Adobe Creative Cloud Suite as well, but sometimes some things are just easier. Like, because it's such a procedural approach, it gives you the freedom to kind of jam out and uh, mess around a lot more. Which trying to draw all of that especially when it's to do with like lots of objects or, or lots of you know lots of detail if you can use MoGraph and stuff to do it then you can experiment a lot more quickly yeah even if you're not really doing you're not doing the final thing you're just kind of it's almost like you're using it as a drawing tool you're sketching in the program um you know it gives you that sort of freedom so many people will be looking at your work for inspiration the adobe make it title for example, really yeah. inspirational piece of video, the emotion that you brought into that. I'm just wondering, is there a piece of video content online that you could name or th that has been an inspiration for you the same way? Mm. Yeah, and you did send me that question, and I, um, I haven't really got one, but I did think that, like, because I follow quite a lot of Vimeo people, and uh, every day there's something new that inspires me, you know? Yeah. I, can't, I couldn't put it down to one thing. It's funny, like, because we studied film and a lot of the original art films from back in the day, still very inspirational, um, yeah. like some of the more abstract filmmaking and stuff. Um, but, yeah, if you want to see the kind of things that inspire me, then follow my Vimeo channel and see which ones I like because I tend to, or I put them on, our fa on the uh, Hello Lux Facebook as well. I try and, like, put some sort of inspirational piece up every day if I get the chance. Cool. Because you know, we're kind of saturated with stuff and go on YouTube and Vimeo and they're just millions and millions of pieces of content. So I try and follow anyone that inspires me and then hopefully inspire other people with the things that I give my thumbs up to. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll definitely be following you on those channels. Um, I'm always looking for inspirational content. I do a very similar thing. I use Feedly so that I can sort of scour lots of different people and um, lots of different disciplines too. I think that's a real key one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Same here, you know, I mean, obviously we do 3D animation, but I tend to follow 
I follow MoMA and the Tate Gallery and the ICA in London and also things like the SETI Institute, which is like uh, um, they kind of exploring the solar system and the galaxies beyond, Yeah, um, you know, and things like uh, creative apps, which is pretty cool. You know, they're all about, and I, you know, obviously I'm not a coder, but it's interesting to see all these different sort of creative um, disciplines. Same with like on Twitter and stuff. I don't just follow motion designers follow quite a few agencies like the beautiful memes and for the people or obviously motionographer but and uh, design companies as well you know like you know print companies and stuff like that there's so many inspirational people out there that is good or illustrators another one you know like simon stalin hag i don't know if you've ever seen his stuff he does some pretty crazy wacky futuristic um like digital illustrations they're pretty cool yeah um, is photography uh inspiration for you and your work yeah definitely yeah my wife just bought me for my birthday one of these like uh i don't know if you've seen these it's oh, like the the the, the, uh, the theater the thing yeah. yeah so that's pretty rad um and i've got a gopro and i've got a canon and i've got a whole bunch of lenses you know um not the greatest photographer in the world but definitely love love shooting photographs and there are some amazing photographers out there to inspire us as well you know but even people like like danny you ashthorpe ashthorpe's got a great vision um ash bolland as well of course from the america always always admired his stuff well thank you so much for being on the show it's been really wicked to have this chance to talk with you and to get to know you better so thank you for being on today no well thank you for inviting me and hopefully um made some sense along the way there's a lot of great information in there and a lot of inspiration too so thank you for everything that you are sharing with the audience absolutely my pleasure thanks for having me on board so where's the best place for the audience to find you online and to follow you uh i guess at hello lux on twitter is probably where i'm most active just started an instagram account <laughs> this last week could tell i'm old i've only just got my instagram account that's at lux.tv um yeah and we've got a facebook page as well hello lux that's kind of just where we put all our new products as they come out and uh, any sales that we're doing and i'll try and post inspirational stuff there every day as well great brand name too <laughs> lux it's it's really identifiable and easy to find you guys online so it's it's a really nice um identity that you've set there for the, both the tutorial site and the production side Right, thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you again, and thank you, everybody, for joining us and listening in on this episode. I'll catch you again next week. Bye. If you could rate and review this podcast on iTunes, I'd really be grateful. Thanks to worldpodcast.com for supporting and hosting the show. Check out all the other great podcasts that are on that network. We've got Fearless Kitchen, Stupid Questions with Scientists, and also the Social Media Strategy Podcast. I've really been enjoying that one lately myself definitely worth a good listen. All right, everyone, have a great week. I'll catch you next time. Bye.